0: Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. 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 Here's Alex Pearson on Global News
1: Radio. We got our CounterPoint panel in their seats. We got John Mraz, former War Room director for the Liberals. Hello. Hey, hey, Anthony Fury, who you can read in the Sun Post Media columnist, as well as a national comment editor. Hello.
0: You can. Hello, hello.
1: Well, you know, I was pretty sure that this case wouldn't make it to trial, and I didn't think it would have been this quickly, but nonetheless, charges uh, dropped today. Mark Norman, a Vice Admiral Mark Norman, we should keep the title going, uh, is a free money, uh, man after... Two dreadfully emotional years of being dragged through the courts on a charge that was leveled at him for nothing more than political reasons. And while the Crown says there was no political interference with the decision to stay the charge today, without question, we heard repeatedly during pretrial that there were delays, obstruction on getting disclosure. And without question, politics were played with this case. Take a listen to a comment that Marie Heenan said. It's a bit inside baseball, but it is important.
0: They are not only the people who decided whether or not to assert Cabinet confidence and then a last-minute switch to public interest privilege, and are not only the holders of the documents, but were also counseling witnesses as to what they could and could not say. And I want to make it very clear that we, the defense, had to bring this motion at great expense to Vice Admiral Norman to get at those records. Neither we, and here is the important part, nor the prosecution were given access to those documents and the people that were standing in the way of that full disclosure is obviously the government who had access to them, had those third party records and was taking the positions that you all heard they were taking in court.
1: All right. So, look, there was a lot said in that comment, and it was all about political interference, which now the Liberals are going around and saying, see, look, the Crown said that there was no political interference. Marie Heenan agreed there was no political interference, but that is not actually what they were talking about. They may have been talking. They were talking, in fact, Anthony, about today's procedure of staying the charges. But without question, during the pretrial and over the last two years, there has been plenty of political interference. And
0: Marie Heenan was very firm when she said there's been no interference. The system worked. The public prosecutor, she made her choice immaterial of what others wanted. So there was almost a wink, wink, nudge, nudge there that perhaps the PMO didn't even want these charges stayed or dropped and that they weren't even a part of the conversation because they couldn't be. So she was basically saying, yes, the PMO was shut out of this as it should be. Were they earlier on? Well, Marie Heinen points out in her very statements that the PCO, uh, Michael Wernick's shop that is like the chief bureaucrats for Trudeau, they referred the matter mm-hmm. to the RCMP, which is what brought us here in the first place. I mean, come on, leaks. The RCMP are randomly chasing leaks. If you would like, you can take any vice admiral, any decorated military person, and maybe they maybe they accidentally littered or they were jaywalking or, you know, you can screw anyone over with the law if you want. You go after people for leaks? What on earth? No, if you're going after the, the head of the Navy, it has to be because they gave our secrets to Russia or China, because they killed a person. Because they made money. Not over this and that is the the original sin in all of this does seem to be that the political interference is why the hell was he even charged in the first place?
1: Well, I think that's a big question. But the the question now comes, what, what do we do with this? We know we're never going to get the documents. I mean, I think Norman will, in fact, speak. He said he's got uh, a story to tell. Canadians should hear it. Uh, there's a, thousands of documents in a court that are likely sealed. The media will try to get them unsealed. And, uh, you know, what do we get out of this? Where does the government go with this?
2: I don't know. I mean, that very much depends on whether... To, uh, to to ensure that the charges were stayed, that uh, Vice Admiral Norman had to sign an agreement, non-disclosure agreement, whatever, you know, he may or may not have, I, I understand as well, he's going to speak in the next couple of days. He says he looks forward to going back. As the stories break this evening, it turns out this complicated story seems to have something to do with infighting, maybe within the military. This whole story started during the Harper years. Apparently, ministers in the Harper government, they knew something about this. I have no idea. What does seem clear is everything Anthony Furrier just said was right. (laughs) And uh, it adds... A whole bunch of snow to the ball rolling down the hill on the Trudeau government and their distance and their respect for an independent judiciary. That's Canada's uh, challenge right now. So I'll, let's stay on that topic. But a final little side note: RCMP, apparently, according to Norman's lawyer and a variety of other people, never even bothered uh, investigating or or interviewing the people who were there when the story started under the uh, un, under the Harper government. That is a very odd choice. Very odd. Maybe they're still gun shy from the effect that some of their investigations had right before big elections. But that means we don't have a political, a police force, a police force, not a political, a, a national police force that will find any political activity irrelevant and move forward and do their jobs. It means they are considering politics as well as they do their jobs, and that should trouble us.
0: And, and you know, one Liberal Senator, Colin Kenney, he made big statements about this a couple of years ago. He said he's really alarmed about uh, all sort of policing as it relates to Ottawa, whether it's the RCMP or any it's other operation looking at it, that they, you know, Colin he's been suddenly alarming exactly what John's saying right now.
1: Right. But the political, I mean, look, the Trudeau government, this thing went away. The story does not. I mean, this will come out in dribs and drabs again. And whether or not it packs the punch of SNC, it should, because to me, this is far more uh, egregious. You know, on People one, felt it in their gut well, going uh, yeah, after the head
0: of the Navy. Like, on, one,
1: on. on one hand, you've got this decorated naval officer, someone who stood up for the right uh, side of history. And then you've got a prime minister who, you know, he wanted to fight to keep a, a corrupt company out of trouble and yet went, went, turned around and weaponized uh, the courts to take out a political foe. I, and so I, the political fallout, though, doesn't stop.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, he could have been incarcerated one yeah. breach of trust charge. I mean, for for passing documents, it seems like nothing. You could go to jail for that. But and I think when the public look at it and obviously, you know, the bloom has very much come off the rose for Justin Trudeau. When you look at someone like like Jane Philpott, you look at Mark Norman, you look at Andrew and you go, these are fairly sort of balanced, experienced adults. I take their credibility. I take their integrity. The person in the Prime Minister's office?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, you know,
0: so I'm not. Much. He's on the other side of the ledger. So, you know, it, it, it looks bad for him in all these situations when it comes to, like, who do you trust more?
1: Well, Leslie Andrew uh, showed up at court today, gave Mr. Norman, Vice Admiral Norman, a big hug. I mean, it spoke volumes that he showed up to court and announced last week that, oh, by the way, I'm testifying for this guy, and I'm not running again. But, you know, it was months, just mere months after Trudeau came into office, John, that he stood outside not once, but twice, and talked about this case, going to court, and it would be before a judge, and so he's got problems on his hands because he's not going to be protected by Parliament privilege on those
2: things. 1,000% right. I mean, the elephant in the room we're not talking about is that, remember that the head of the Canadian Armed Forces was seemingly backing the Prime Minister's office in the pursuit. General Vance. And yeah. the char- General Vance, I didn't want to was, say. Well, that's, he, he testified in the pre-trial. And then we <laughs> recently find out that Andrew Leslie retired from the military. Now a politician was going to back not the head of the Armed Forces, as one would expect from the higher Of the boot boys, but he was going to back the uh, the accused, the alleged defendant, which means that there must be a rift somewhere in the middle of our military, and that is very telling. That means there's also a rift in the party. Absolutely right. But I worry much more about rifts in the military because if you look historically, you sort of end up with well, Venezuela.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, (laughs) but again, we are now talking two cases. So when I hear people say, "Well, why should people care?" This may not be felt immediately. This is not the kind of thing that you get an automatic um, result from. You can't see it tangibly. But we're talking about the erosion of our judicial system at the hands of the government. Well, and I don't want to live in Venezuela.
0: Well, well and to your point, of Venezuela, all those countries. I mean, when we're doing these we're things, that's, two cases. that's what happens. People in Romania and people in Latin American countries, uh, not people, presidents and prime right. ministers and so forth. You know, they go to jail for this stuff. And we're a country that has not been like that. We don't want to be like that. Lab The accusation there was that they weaponized the justice system to not go not prosecute a company. Here they've weaponized it to say, go get this guy, we don't like him. Well what's what's to stop them from going? Well, we don't like this random individual. You know, I think there's something wrong with that. What's to say that they haven't done this
1: any other time? What's to say that they haven't had their hand in a whole bunch of issues of justice? That's my question. Well, I'm not even concerned about that, but I am concerned what other directives have been given by this particular government that feels it's okay to put its hands all over the system? I don't know we'll Whether help. that's a Danforth shooting, terrorist cases, anything like that that we never seem to hear about.
2: No, I'd be very curious to see what the new head of the Eurasia Group uh, Consult for Environmental uh, Politics <laughs> has to say about it. Oh, that's right. Cherry Bucks. <laughs> Al Gore is very proud. Well, he
1: doesn't have to testify anymore, so I'm sure he and Mr. Warnick are thrilled tonight. And I'm sure Scott Bryson is actually spending time with the kids because he's not going to be on, uh, you know testifying on a trial, you know? I love
0: that with Jerry Butts, though. You know, you get into office, you kind of falsify entire industry, create this whole sort of business <laughs> schema for carbon tax, and then you get out of the bureaucracy and you become the oligarch of the industry. I mean, it's brilliant. Like,
2: hats we off call to it him. failing Come upwards, on, he was at the World Wildlife Fund. He cared about the pandas, and mm. he cared about the pandas. All right.
1: Let's um, take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about the other headlines. There were other headlines today. One of those, GM and Jerry Diaz. We'll talk about that coming up in Just a minute here on Point on Global News Radio.
0: Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head.
1: With CounterPoint. Counterpoint.
0: Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.
1: All right, 8.33, we've got our CounterPoint guests uh, in place. we got John Mraz and Anthony Fury. Um, today, we had a big headline coming out of Oshawa Unifor uh, buying some time. Did not bring the Oshawa General uh, Motors back to life, per se, but we'll give credit where it's due. Uh, because while all the politicians, whether it was Justin Trudeau or the Premier, said it could not be done, Jerry Dias uh, mounted a Pretty formidable, uh, formidable campaign with uh, videos and you name it going after GM. They're not going to be building cars, but Jerry Dias today says they will, in fact, keep building something.
2: So am I doing backflips? The answer is no. But am I more comfortable that at least we made something out of a bad situation? The answer is yes. And one thing about us, we're not going anywhere.
1: Well, they're not going anywhere for now, John. So we'll give credit to do. They got 170 million bucks, and they've you know kept 300 jobs. But Dias is absolutely convinced that in December there will be more jobs, and eventually this will become like a parts place, a place where technology is tested on the track. They they think they can make this thing go.
2: I wonder why. I mean, I am impressed. I'm impressed. I mean, this seems to me a corporation where it's kind of all or nothing. And he opened up a wedge as if Somehow. to prove yep. to people he had some lever, whether it was the opinion of voters in Canada and the United States, or whether it was political uh, support for GM in terms of subsidizations. You could come up with a lot of theories. I have no idea which one's true, but good for him. This is not a guy that I've ever particularly loved. He's pretty uh, ideological, didactic, like union leader. Good for him. Kudos. He should take it all. I hope he's right. Keep on going. Mr. Diaz, I'm a new fan.
1: Yeah, look, I, I was very critical of Dias because I felt, uh, Anthony, like he was giving a lot of false hope to a lot of, of workers. Now, that, this may peter out. I don't know. We will wait and see. But he has done, I think, what a lot of people said can't do. Do you look at this as your token?
0: I agree with John. Jared is doing his job, and that's a whole hell of a lot more than a lot of politicians are doing. Even a lot of corporate leaders. Look, he's representing workers in an industry, I won't say in decline, but in transition. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make as much uh, lemonade as he can from what what they throw at him. And, and look, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm you know I'm very much a free market guy. Is this industry even in the free market? The cash that we throw well, at them, yeah, and time I, and time again. This co- the first time this company was bailed out was something like in 1880 by the local city city government when. The, you know the predecessor plant before GM brought it out I mean go ahead and do what you got to do and quite frankly the things he was calling for you know if you sell here you got to build here kind of things I mean I'm happy to put it all on the table right now because when Kathleen Wynn goes you know here's 250 million dollars to, to some of these companies and then they don't actually do the uh, do the jobs that they're promising for the timeline they're promising and, and I don't know why I'm picking on Kathleen Wynn because quite frankly Doug Ford is do engaging yep. in corporate welfare right now I'm being told oh it's deals the liberals signed a year ago we, we you know we have to do it for trust and so well, you know what, if you're doing deals like that again six months from now, it's going to be 100% unacceptable. So I don't know why Doug Ford can give out corporate welfare uh, to some companies that he favors, and then well, everybody I, puts those GM workers out to dry.
1: I asked Mayor uh, Carter, Oshawa's mayor uh, today, will you be uh, needing and calling on the government for some kind of subsidy? Because I the, I don't think there's any appetite for the, the taxpayer to pay yet more no, corporate welfare, no. especially to an auto manufacturer with no a- actual plan in place. Um, and I didn't hear a no, so I expect that that both the premier and the prime minister will be uh, told to pony up, and the prime minister will probably uh, have a blank check written.
2: Well, they've got SNC Lavalin, let alone Bombardier. Well, they might and about want to save some ink for the check. They'll have to at. write
1: to Mr. Norman,
2: right? You know, it, it's it's an odd situation, especially when you, you 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 put it up in a mirror against Trump's. Trump maintains when he sees tax returns come out from the late 80s and early 90s that you were supposed to lose money and <laughs> at that point if you were a real estate developer. It didn't mean he wasn't successful. The government would cover those costs. They always will because uh, they underwrite the banks. That's the way you were, you were seen as successful in New York. He said that this evening by tweet, uh, late 80s, early 90s.
0: But he went into managed bankruptcy. Mitt Romney said the auto plants should go into managed bankruptcy. There, there's, not you know?
1: a, there's not a, a billionaire not? out there or a millionaire out there or a business owner out there who has never suffered in business. I mean, come on. Give me a break. If you haven't failed in business, you've never run a business. That, that, that's the
0: thing. I mean, if we're not... I'm not we did, I mean, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm happy to kick someone around, but I know threw, too many business people who have uh, folded and, and, and then rebuilt and done beautiful things. We
0: threw billions at the auto yeah, plants. Yeah. They could have gone into managed sure. bankruptcy without the taxpayer money. Instead, yep. they took the taxpayer money. So I have no problem uh, whether it's Jerry Diaz or Doug Ford, or whoever, saying that they now owe us. I'm totally okay with
2: that. I want to say, for the record, I've been told by a number of people who know about this more than I do, and I, I could possibly be wrong, and they could too, that when GM was subsidized, both the United States here, uh, both governments took uh, positions uh, in terms of stock ownership, and that when they sold that, they made a profit and got their money back. So okay. maybe that's how GM gets well, up in the morning.
1: And maybe, but look, again, for this deal, don't come to us for money. Just don't. Don't want it. Um The Liberal government, I guess, delivering on a promise that has been, um, well, a few years in the making. The blood donation waiting period for men who have had sex with other men has now been lowered to three months instead of a year. It's the third time that Health Canada has lowered the uh, deferral period for men who have sex with men. Initially, it was a lifetime ban, and then it was lowered to five years. So you'd have to wait five years between having sex? Seems a little unreasonable, no?
2: I, I just presume that the doctors, I very much hope, are in charge of these decisions. And as we have come to be able to not only identify the infection of HIV or other or other diseases very quickly and also treat them and stay them, I presume that these decisions, I pray that these decisions are informed by I medical would, authorities I can't and that imagine they're not they're political. Not.
1: I mean, look, I mean, the diseases point, yeah. that, that that straight people versus gay, there's diseases in every flow of life what a walk of life and i mean the they have to be is, careful period i mean there are straight people who have hepatitis and all sorts of stuff so mean blood not,
0: is checked and, and tested anyway well, after you take it from people.
1: generally speaking I mean, we did have that little tainted blood scale right. but let's admit that,
2: that when aids came out we were so wrong at the beginning in the 80s about yeah, like what that years was years driven ago, by yeah, i remember haitians were yep. considered a suspect group do you remember that yep. just for a few months Ivy users, it was the gay population, turned out to be none of that. It was driven by the transmission of blood, blah, blah, blah. And so there were lots of stigmas around homosexuality. We're in a different era now, socially, culturally, political, economically. It would seem to me that the rules should be the same for gay males, gay females. Well, it should be the same for, males, I'm, i got to be honest,
1: I was surprised that it hadn't changed yet. I was like, what? This is still a thing? Like, how, why is it taking so long? Yeah. You know? Uh quickly I'll get to this one. Uber drivers around the world striking in the lead up to the company going public today. The company's valued at oh, paltry ninety billion dollars. Now Uber drivers are complaining about wages and working conditions. What happens when the disruptors get disrupted by the very things that the other industry they disrupted warned them would happen? I mean, look, Uber drivers don't make a lot of money, but if they think they're going to unionize and get uh, benefits and all the rest of it, it's not going to happen in, in a disruptive uh, economy.
0: I know a Fedora driver who is very worried about the Fedora people trying to unionize, and they're becoming—they've yeah. uh, clearly read their, their union tactics over the decades. They've already become pretty thuggish and, and vicious with their own. They're demanding this unionization— uh, Uh, The the restaurant industry, I'm not sure about the Uber money, but it's really cents on the dollar. The margins are pretty darn tight. I mean, if they unionize this, these people who have very flexible jobs where you make your own hours, you kind of do what you want, all that's going to be disappearing. And a lot of the opportunities... Are going to go away. So, I mean, do this do this at your own risk. If you want a traditional job, go out and find it. But I don't think you can make disruptor jobs into traditional
2: no.
1: jobs. No, that defeats the whole purpose of the disruptive
2: economy. I'm, I'm not sure Uber is a disruptor presence anymore. As not I anymore. recall, there was uh, news in the on the business page just the other day that they had not met their their targets for the last two quarters. In fact, were bleeding money, losing money, right. uh, and as a result of their stock valuation and new IPO, were compromised. I will say this, a delightful Uber driver showed up within two minutes tonight to bring me down here and uh, he was right on point and uh, he didn't look like he was on strike to me. People got to make a living and I look at like I look at them like cab drivers now. That's what I do.
1: Well, I gotta be honest they're, they're worse than cab drivers because they do U-turns and block intersections everywhere. You see, it's a not a Lyft driver, it's an Uber driver it's like, guys, ugh the whole thing is a mess. Anthony Fury appreciate it. John I appreciate Hoobah. it always. Thank you guys. It's here on Point on Global News Radio.